As we head towards the month of April 2021, we've kind of passed a bit of a solemn anniversary. The uh, awareness, the growing awareness that we had a year ago that the COVID pandemic was more than a flu. It was more than a, uh, a minor blip in, the, in, our, in, our, in our lives and in the world. And it indeed was going to have a profound effect. Remember how confused we were back then? Remember how concerned we were, how much misinformation was going around and how much in just speculation and we just didn't understand exactly what was happening. Well, now we're a year into it. Uh, we've had a full year to come to terms with, uh, with, the, with the new reality. And now we're starting to bandy about this term, the new normal, the new normal. What is normal going to be like for you and for me moving ahead? I am going to be delving into that in detail today on Gray Matters. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for baby boomers and Gen X who are interested in online business. We are interested in finding our place in the digital age. In this podcast, you'll learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, and more, all from our perspective. The world's changing. Our prospects are changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore, and many of us face a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need to take our years of experience and put it to work for us, a side hustle or online business of our own. We need to develop mad skills to adapt and evolve in order to thrive in this digital age. I can help. I want to help. And this podcast will help. It wasn't that long ago that I was struggling to transition from my former career in traditional broadcasting into online business. There were lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but I'm here to say it is a fantastic and worthwhile journey. I am glad you found us. So Rachel Moore, how the heck are you doing this fine day? I'm doing fabulous. My husband is outside while I'm with you recording. He's shingling the roof of my She-Ra shed outside. Just a minute, She-Ra. Why is it She-Ra? So our audience may have heard the term She-Shed. Yes, I've heard uh, that before. Yeah. yeah. I have, Technically, it's a She-Shed. It's going to be my new office and studio where I work and live stream. Nice. And I... I'm trying. I decided to call it a She-Ra shed because so, I love She-Ra. She-Ra. What's more... She-Ra? Am oh my I missing gosh. something there? So if our audience might remember He-Man, Masters of the Universe. Oh, okay. No. She-Ra is his twin sister. Other, you know, and she's like in a different world and she's awesome and powerful. And I guess there's like a rebooted Netflix animated series of it. And I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's awesome. What so. was one of the jobs that I uh, outlined to you when we hired you as producer here? It, it was to help grow the podcast, not to drive <laughs> people away. I'm not trying to. People <laughs> right now are listening going, oh, my gosh, I remember He-Man. She-Ra, that's neat. Perhaps, perhaps. Well, don't be afraid of being a geek, y'all. Yeah, well, I'm not afraid of being a geek, but that's, yeah. I am, I'm excited about your shed. How big is it? is uh 10 by 13 so it's okay. nice and spacious yeah no actually and, it's, uh, it's a, even a little bit bigger than the office that i work in here now does it have natural light does it have good natural light yes so mm. i steve you'd be so proud of me um i planned it that way so we get most of our light that comes so our house is east facing um the lot of, a lot of the light comes so obviously the sun goes east to west and the lot of the light comes down through uh kind of from our south side mm -hmm. and so i've got a window nice big window facing the south so it's going to be facing me no window in the wall behind me 
because that's best lighting practices right there. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. And is it it has a direct little sunlight coming in or indirect? Indirect. Good. That's the best. That's going to be great. Yes. So if we, if we ever think about, which we've had little conversations about adding a video component to this podcast, we have it made in the shade or made in the sun and as a case. <laughs> we will. And, and it'll be great. And I would be happy if anyone wants to see pictures of the result, I can totally share it with our now, podcast listeners. Are you setting up for green screen or to have an active set or both? Uh, both. Uh, I, I, I do because like what I have behind me, which nobody can see, uh, is a solid purple wall. It's mm. a corner and it has some shelving. So it looks appealing uh, as much as I need it to be. But that's what I kind of plan to do in the new shed, the She-Ra shed. But I, I, I'm i going to do soundproofing and the walls and everything too. And I just want to have a bit of a flexible background based on whatever my need might be. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to re- recommend that you uh, take a look at one piece of gear Take yes. a look at the Elgato green screen, which is a, it's like a, uh, a movie screen. It's a pull down. It's like a blind. So nice. there's a version of it that you, in a, you can, I think you can mount it in the ceiling as well as the floor. So rather than have to set up one of the pop-up uh, green screens, which I'd use, which scares the crap out of my dog every time I pop it up. Cause the thing explodes out. It's, a, it's yes, one of those oval I know ones you that mean. has the, the stain, the steel, the, the spring steel, uh, wrapper mm-hmm. around it. And finally, as soon as I start taking the bag out, he leaves the room. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure I've probably almost taken out my eye with the thing as it's opened, but there's a beautiful, uh, and it's not just Elgato, a few other makers have it as well, but okay. a beautiful, and so it just pulls down. It's ni- it stays nice and straight. Um, and so you'll end up using the green screen more, but if you okay. can mount it in the ceiling, so it pulls down behind you and then make sure you've got some nice lights on either side of it because the important factor there, of course, is washing yes. it with even light and that will make exactly, a huge exactly. I'm going to invest in a couple of ring lights too. And I'm, yeah. ex- I'm very excited, but yeah, you're I one mean, of those it's... people that likes to use zoom backgrounds, which I find really irritating if it's not done perfectly. No, I agree. Um, yeah, there's tons you can do with that, but yeah, you always get like the little things where part of you disappears, which I don't like, or the fuzziness around your head. And especially for us, you know, any of us who like to do our hair, mm-hmm. raise your hand. Um, I like my hair to look complete when I'm doing a green screen effect. So I will take your advice. Now, uh, sit stand desk or just an old school desk? Uh, sit stand. Good for you. Oh man. I'm oh. trying, man. I, I, you know, older I get, I like, I need to and, and again, I'm working from home now pretty much hundred percent. So yeah. I just want to make sure I get as much movement as I can and well, it'll be good stuff. What you're, what you're doing, um, dovetails really nicely with my, uh, I, I, my, our, our main guest today is me. I'm doing a solo podcast today and I'm talking a lot about, uh, the changes, the changes. So mm-hmm. I'll be interested to hear your feedback on the changes in our work and home life as we enter what they call the new normal, as we hope to enter the new normal. And a big part of that is, is, uh, you know, people now accepting the fact that that home office is here to stay. And it sounds like you're doing the exact thing. Pretty much exactly. And Steve, I always like it when you're the guest on the podcast. You're (laughs) very interesting and always have great stuff to say. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I I think I'm a little bit rambly this week, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's heartfelt. All right. Let's get into the, the week's news because there's lots of news happening this week. What's your top story this week, Rachel? All right. Well, I say this as a parent of a daughter who is actually uh, 13 years old, um, but I have great concern about this. And I hope that the rest of us out there do too, particularly if you're related to or care about any um, children who are under 13 in your purview. So Instagram is developing an app that is just for under 13 users. So it's going to basically be Instagram for minors, Mm. for tweens, for tots, and what have you. Um, Now, for those of you who aren't 
familiar terribly. There are a lot of rules out there right now around websites and when, how old a person can be to legally use a website. Usually it's been, it's like 13 and up. You have to be that old Mm -hmm. to use pretty much any website out there. Um, And uh, so Facebook has a lot of kids, a lot of people's birthdays wrong because kids lied as they signed up and they totally wrong age. And then all of a sudden you're getting a notification that your child is suddenly turned 25 and they're really 16 (laughs) or something. Yeah. Well, and you, to be clear, you can, you can report if you find an Instagram user you think is under 13, you can report them, uh, report their account and they can be taken off. But apparently Instagram term for that is, are you going to be a Finkasaurus Rex? (laughs) I see, I, I'm just going to say that my daughter, uh, may have had her Instagram account before she was 13. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was co, uh, managing it with her. Cause I, I, am a big believer in teaching your children, teaching mm-hmm. anyone young, how to use social media effectively and how to be careful with it, which is why this concerns me because to, uh, does anyone in our audience remember candy cigarettes, mm-hmm. um, where you got regular cigarettes, which we're all familiar with, but then they had these candy cigarettes and really it was a, it was a entry level for saying, Oh, I can get used to this feel and getting a buzz. And it's like, I'm smoking like the adults. And then just kind of, you know, I, and I never smoked, I never got into smoking, but that was a big um, outcry about that particular product. And to me, this is what that feels like. Like starting I'm having, I'm having flashbacks because there was also licorice cigars that way yes. that had little red candies on the end to make look, look like they were glowing. Ugh. Yeah. 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 So say, and look, we've talked about this, that there is a bottom line. All of these social apps want to hit because guess what? They were relying advertising dollars. They rely on data. And the sooner they can get a person of any age into getting used to using their app, the better for them in the long run. So it's That's, interesting that Instagram is going this route because YouTube has, of course, had an absolute nightmare as they've uh, as they've been forced into creating child safe content in child safe places, which has disenfranchised so many of their creators, mm-hmm. caused massive confusion and a lot of frustration and anger in the marketplace. It's one of the real black eyes on YouTube for the last three or four years is how they deal with content that's designed for children. Yeah, and here well, Instagram is. Well, I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, but they're stepping right into that, right into the middle of that. Well, and I don't know if anyone's familiar with this too. Facebook for the last few years um, has had a messenger for kids, which also has carried the same, you know, I'm sure they've got a black eye from that too. It's carried the same risks and stuff because it's been hacked and they don't say a whole lot about that where, you know, you, you let your child sign it, sign them up. And the understanding is you get to police who they can talk to. Of course it gets hacked. And of course they wind up talking to people that you had no intention of them talking to. And that's where, I mean, I, I literally actually, this story prompted me, and this is a positive aspect of it, prompted me this week to ask my daughter, say, hey, how's your Instagram account going? Is anyone messaging you, commenting to you, anything weird? Because um, I want to make sure you have, you know, I need to know about that, but I need to give her the skills needed to handle that kind of stuff. But um, fortunately, she said no. But yeah, it's it's just this whole thing. And I love social media. I love it, but I don't love this idea of starting them this young and just getting them absorbed into it. You know, so it really is up to each parent. I just want to say that. I mean, they're probably going to come out with this. It's up to each parent or guardian to help decide. And just please, more information is better than none. Please don't ever just leave your child going off on social media and running amok and just hoping for the best. No, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out here though, Rachel. I'm going to put your mind at ease. I predict I'm, uh, yeah, I'm 
predicting that this is going to be a colossal failure. Ask yes. me, ask me why. Why would this be a colossal failure, Steve? Because kids don't want to use a tool that's designed for kids. <laughs> that is true. That is a very poignant point mm -hmm. to bring. They up. know all yes. the cool stuff is happening on not even on Instagram, on TikTok or some other platform. So here we're, we're making you one that's a safe environment for you. That's being moderated and you're protected in the kids are going to uh, yawn and, uh, and, <laughs> and, it, and it, it don't bother me. I'm watching TikTok videos. Right. All right. So there you go. I, I I'm just predicting a colossal failure. So I, I well, think yeah. my blood pressure just eased up a little bit. So yeah. thank you for that. Well, my, my, the, my top story, not my top story. This is my top story. I'm saving for the, my last story. My first story has got my blood pressure a little bit boiling and that's YouTube. The, 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 the title of the article, which we'll share is YouTube test will auto detect products featured in videos and suggest content accordingly. What do you think of that? Uh, I'm my, I'm trying to describe, how would you describe my expression right now? It's very much, I'm like, yeah, whatever. That'll mm. be, let, let's see how that works. That's essentially my reaction. So YouTube's experimenting with a new visual tool that will auto detect products that appear in videos, and then they'll provide links to the related content beneath it. Now they haven't said whether or not this is going to be permission based, based on the creator or not, because YouTube has already told creators that haven't reached the threshold of being an, a YouTube partner, they've told them that they're going to run ads on their videos, whether they want to them run or not. And so small creators have no choice if YouTube decides to run ads on their content. It's a, it's a, it's a change that YouTube recently made, yeah. which I think is incredibly heavy handed. But this means that if you're show, showing a product and comparing products, say you're doing product review or box opening or anything, even if they see something, I suppose, in the back of a, in behind you, that they will then, that they're, uh, they will auto detect that, uh, and they will then look in their catalog of products and then they will, in, they will set, uh, links to those products in the, in the description or maybe even in the video. I don't know how they'll, how they'll <gasps> ultimately apply, but this will, it will undermine any affiliate relationships that you might have. And it'll be YouTube, of course, collecting revenue from those affiliate relations, their own affiliate relationships. Well, that's and, what I, my question is for you. Is that for paid pro like if you have a paid promotion video, are they going to do that? Um, they haven't, they haven't talked, they haven't told us. Oh, I don't like this at all. No, it's, 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 it's got me kind of having the heebie jeebies, you know, other, other companies have, uh, changed the terms of service with, uh, with, with, with users on an mm -hmm. ongoing basis. Apple did it through the app. We used to be able to be affiliates for the iTunes store and the app store. Uh, now there's no more revenue to people that recommend products on that store. Of course, Facebook is le legendary for allowing people to invest in their platform and then changing the rules and disenfranchising you from whatever your investment was. And I've always been a champion of YouTube saying, you know, you're used to your relationship with YouTube is above board. You know exactly what's going to happen. It's a win-win situation. You provide great content. They provide the audience yeah. and the audience. And then they, they, you share in the advertising revenue and it is a, it's a great, it's a great situation. This is a way that they can bypass some of that if they choose to. And, yeah. um, it's, 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 it's created a sense of disquiet deep in my soul. Uh, rightly so. Uh, cause it, like you said, cope, you know, kind of a symbiotic relationship happening there thus far. And for this, this feels like 
Yes, but we're going to do it, go a little bit farther and just kind of insert and insinuate ourselves upon your videos, mm-hmm. uh, whether you like it or not, because really we just need the money and we don't care what you're trying yeah, to put out yeah. there. I don't like that at all. And to be fair, I was, I've been probably foolish thinking that YouTube was better than the rest, that they, that there was some, they, they, they marched to a higher moral standard. That was probably just naive of me. Well, possibly to me, I I mean, I don't know who's listening to this podcast who's part of the other video platforms. Uh, hello, ripe opportunity for you to help hop in and be like, we don't do that. We won't do that. You know, bring your stuff to us. Because I, like you said, I could see this. If you're serious about creating on YouTube and that's a main channel for you, whether you're just trying to make money or just trying to put your stuff out there, uh, this feels like a huge infringement. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so... If other video platforms are like, we will not do that to you, here come find a home base. And this feels like it could be big enough to, to tell people, say, like, maybe I should take my creations elsewhere. And there's mm-hmm. a ton, there are some viable video platforms out there. Mm. No, no one as big as YouTube, but hey, things change. <laughs> true, true. I, I mean, it, and it could, I don't, I, YouTube still is the 800 pound gorilla. It, it, yes. And YouTube is the only social platform that really does have a monopoly on its space still. Yeah. Um, but we will, we will watch it. We will watch this situation closely. And uh, just to let everybody know, if you want to see the, get more detail on these stories or the other stories that we cover here on Gray Matters, point your browser to dototech.com forward slash gray, 61 gray forward slash 61 gray. This is uh, episode 61 and uh, there will be show notes with all of the links included. All right, Rachel, uh, are you going to make me, is the next story more feel good? Yeah, I think so. From a productivity and just helpful standpoint, uh, Steve, would you say you're pretty much wholesale sold in on digital? Like you steer away from paper. If you can do it digitally, you're going to do it digitally. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I, 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 I had to find a pen the other day on my desk and I had to look <laughs> like I had to go to a drawer and blow dust off of the pen that I had to get up to physically sign a piece of a document. It was, it was, it was, it was archaic. I, I am the same way. I, I, my husband will not go away from paper shopping list. It just drives me crazy because half the time, guess what I have to do? I take a picture of it and send it to him <laughs> via digital means, which I'm like, oh, we could have had this. So the reason I bring that up is because uh, Google, um, there's this Google assistant we all have. Uh, we, we have, you know, you can say, and actually my phone's probably going to say something to me in a minute because I'm saying the word Google over and over again and probably will say, what can I help you with or something like that? Google is working on a new feature for that assistant called memory. Uh, and it'll be a digital locker that can include to-do lists, notes, uh, kind of a pocket-like reading list, and a Pinterest-style collection board. And I find all of this fascinating because I am one of those people, if I can get a tool that kind of does all in one for me, sweet, uh, that can help me find that kind of thing. And also the fact, you know, Google Assistant, you can do verbal commands to it. I would really think this would be, I would dig this if this had a bunch of that kind of thing in there and it's just easy to just pull up on my phone or wherever and use it. So uh, that is, they're testing it out with their uh, employees right now, but allegedly that is in the works to be rolled out. Mm, Everybody at Evernote's going, what? (laughs) I know, I know, right? So uh, yeah, they are saying it can do all kinds of stuff like articles, books, contacts, events, flights, hotels, images, movies, music, notes, et cetera. And it just goes on and on. I believe this will be successful. 
Mm-hmm. But I also believe that there'll be a massive backlash to it, and it won't threaten Evernote and some of the other apps as much as one might no. think by the uh, to, simply because of one factor: our trust of Google has dropped to an all-time low. And so, for us to store more of this sort of information, which when you look at the list of things that they want to store for us, mm-hmm. um, the, if if it's your to-do list app, if it's that grocery list, why in the world would you want to share that with Google? I mean, there's a huge amount of value to that. And mm-hmm. for Google knowing exactly what it is you buy so that they can modify what they send to you. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it might be a step too far because mm-hmm. of, because of the trust factor. Um, but having a, I call these, I call Evernote, I don't call it a notepad app. I call it a di- digital bank account because it's where you store all of your valuable data. And then it's, it holds it there until you want to make a withdrawal. And the more data you have in, the more equity you have, the more valuable your account the more you're vested in it. So that's the way I look at Evernote. And I look at this, what Google is doing very much as a, as a, as the same kind of thing. You're very right. And look, I, there's a reason we actually, at my house, we, we've not gotten a smart refrigerator for instance. And Mm -hmm. the reason we haven't, and we don't have a smart speaker because we do have that, that bit of um, paranoia uh, Mm -hmm. about, well, Okay, because I get like a smart refrigerator. It's supposed to be able, like, if you're at the store and you're like, "Ooh, I forgot, do I need milk?" And you can actually have your smart refrigerator look at what's in your refrigerator mm-hmm. and tell you, "Yes, you're out of milk." Well, guess that's that's not just sticking with you. Of course, somebody else is going to use that data and be like, "Well, let's you know, let's figure out she likes milk. You know, she buys milk, or um, does she like almond milk?" And, and it's such like a that. you know something. It is such. Oh, I'm so torn on this topic because when I go grocery shopping, I look at. Tzatziki. And I go, I know I have some in the fridge, but how close is it to expiring? <laughs> and if, 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 if something could tell me, then it's, it, it, it's got two more weeks on it. Don't worry about it. Oh, that'd <sighs> be great. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's the quid pro quo. What am I giving up for that information? Right. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a space that we're all going to have to make our own decisions as far as our thresholds go. Uh, but uh, we, we know they're going to keep pushing us. They're going to keep testing us and pushing us and saying until we give them as what they want. Ultimately. Well, and, and I can tell you right now, they can come out with this, but I'm still going to be sending pictures of our shopping list to my husband because he is going to keep us on paper. So, there you go. You know. Thank, thankfully. <laughs> the Apple Watch has perhaps a new medical ability, but... Seeing the things that they're adding to the Apple Watch as far as medicine goes, as far as health goes, as far as health-related data, is one of the, I believe that this is flying under the horizon for most people, just the massive leaps forward. Now, do you have a smartwatch? Um, I do, but it's a Garmin. It's not an Apple. Yeah, okay. And and they're all good. Don't get me wrong. But what Apple is doing is profound how they have taken the wearable and the things that they've changed within it. Uh, now, I mean, it, it, it doesn't do a, it doesn't do the same job as you can do in a hospital, but it'll detect atrial defibrillation, or I don't know if I pronounce that right, but problems that you have with your, with the, with your, with the, 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 the rhythm of your heart. Um, it of course measures your, the amount of calories you do, your heart, your heart rate. They're saying that in Apple watch seven, possibly they will be able to monitor blood glucose levels non-invasively whoa like without without having to stick yourself with a needle yes i have no idea how but they're talking about being able to do that whoa um 
increasingly these wearables, as far as the amount of information that they give is it's just, I think it has, it's, it's a bit of a mitigating factor against a lot of the places that healthcare is being taken away from us and we're making it difficult for us to get it's self-serve to be fair. Mm-hmm. But now, um, you know, especially with the pandemic, I do my own blood pressure. I bought a blood pressure monitor and it's Bluetooth. I could have bought a, a cheap one, but I spent, I don't know, $120 and I just slip it onto my arm, tap a button on the, uh, on the, uh, app and it measures my blood pressure. And if I want to set up integration, I can share that information with my doctor. But even so, just I get on a call with him, he says, how's your blood pressure doing? I, I read him off my last five readings. Right. And I mean, that's just, that that information is far better than when he would see me once every six months and do blood yeah. pressure in the office. Or having to do your blood pressure at the drugstore when you're running around and you're in a crowd and you're, you know, you're, you're kind of in an elevated level, um, which might give you a little bit of a, you know, not an accurate reading of what it always is. So these wearables and what they, what we're seeing come down the pipe with the wearables. And one thing I will give Apple is they are protecting your privacy within this environment um, aggressively. We do see that, that, which is the big concern that we have is what's going to happen with this data. But I do believe that Apple is, is fairly, very aggressive with how they're protecting our privacy. And, uh, but I'm excited about what's, what's coming down the pipe with this stuff. I mean, you know, if they can measure people's blood glucose levels at that point, man, it's going to save lives. Well, I love what you mentioned too, about the accessibility part. Like it, cause it, there are, there are some inequities in, in healthcare right now. It's harder for people to get to appointments, particularly if you're trying to hold down more than one job and things like that, or just have any, any other priorities and things like it's just hard. And people often don't prioritize trying to get to the doctor, but you brought up like, Hey, I can take my blood pressure readings and send them to my doctor. I was just on a telemedicine visit last week. And one of the, they, they asked for your vitals, like, Hey, do you have the means to take your blood pressure or your pulse, um, or, or your temperature, you know, and I can take my temperature, but I, I, I've got a blood pressure cuff somewhere in this house. I have no idea where it is, but if my watch could just do that, and maybe if it was just updating my yeah. vitals securely to my doctor on a regular basis, that's beautiful. Yeah. I think that's so cool because it does kind of bridge that gap that we have a lot of people have where just getting the information about you to your doctor so you can be healthier. Mm-hmm. And, and I would have never rec- thought that they would be get to the point of doing blood glucose. So I was going to say immediately when you said blood pressure, I say, I can't see them actually being able to measure that on your wrist, but I'm, I'm never going to say never as far as this concerned. One right. other aspect of these smartwatches is not just the, uh, the snapshot in time, things that it can do, like what's your pulse at this point, but you know, tracking it over a period of time, uh, that's very valuable. But now mobility studies and looking at how people move and their movement habits, is, they can do a lot of predictive work. And there's mm-hmm. something called frailty. I mean, I mean, we know, we know that, you know, you see an, uh, an elderly relative and you say they're frail, but there's actually a definition, a medical definition of what is frail and then in complications that go along with that. And the way that they measure it, typically speaking, is how far people walk within a, like a six minute period. This, you mm-hmm. know, how far you move. And the Apple Watch is able to track that all of the time. So that's another thing that we might see coming out very soon. Now, I don't know how they will use that information because I can imagine most people who are frail don't necessarily want to be identified as frail. So we might not be willing to share that <laughs> <That's> information. <fair. laughs> but they, they, you know, 
working through these uh, the the uh, the metrics that they know and the things that they can measure just by how you live and how you move in the day is tremendously interesting. I mean, I when I go for my walk at night, when I come back, I I see you know what how long it took me to walk a kilometer. You mm-hmm. know, I see my pace and I know if I if I feel kind of like I'm dragging my ass, I look and it, indeed it took me like an extra minute to walk every kilometer. And sometimes I really right. got the bit between my teeth and I'm motoring along and I look and I go, wow, that's the fastest I've walked that 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 distance. Mm-hmm. And so those you know that gamification of it also makes it so that we want to use it more but also allows us to track our progress in ways that we never could before i was not a big fan of the apple watch when it first came out i didn't i didn't think that there was value there in return uh but my 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 attitude has changed 180 for it now might be it might be my favorite piece of apple hardware right now it's it's really cool. And, you know, again, I'm going to kind of get geeky again. My, my family is a big Star Trek. Uh, we have fans over here. But we, we always like to laugh at how some of these shows came up with tech or depicted tech that we now have as a reality. And you do see like, um, you know, they, they'd have, I think, it, I can't remember what show it was on. It may not have been Star Trek, but something else. And someone else in the listening to the podcast is yelling at me right now saying, I totally know what that is. But where you can talk to people on a watch, you know, and you just like, you know. Kind oh, of that was Dick them. Tracy. Dick Tracy oh, back you. in the day. Thank so you very of, much. Yeah. See, you're yeah. yelling and that's good. Um, but, <laughs> no. Well, there was no. a Dick Tracy watch. That was the thing. And yes, and I, and I often take phone calls on my watch. Right. And it's, so I don't like and, doing it. It's not very reliable. <laughs> well, and I love what you just said too, because I do my, I have my watch and it's a Garmin. So it's kind of geared toward health and, and activity, but it will tell me, it gives me a little, Hey, you need to move around reminders. Yeah. And I love those. Cause I'm like, great. You're right. Let me stand up. Let me just get some, just a little bit. And God, a lot of that just adds up. So I love that too. Cause it's a, it's a not terribly invasive way. You just, it's part of your, Oh yeah. Thank you yeah, for that little reminder. reminder. Cause I got, you know, focus, hyper-focused on what I was doing. Well, as you brought up the, uh, the Dick Tracy watch, uh, comparison to the Apple watch, I will point out that we have not yet seen Max Smart's shoe phone come into being, and I'm not sure that that is on the horizon and probably not from Apple. Uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I am going to be sharing with you my thoughts on the new normal. Do you need a little more Steve time? Well, I get it. And I have something for you. Do you know that we host a free live training almost every week? This is a fact. Most weeks, we host a free tutorial webinar covering productivity, content creation, and online marketing. It is called Webinar Wednesday, and you can find out about this week's webinar by visiting dototech.com slash Webinar Wednesday, or check out the links in the show notes. You know, Webinar Wednesday has become an online institution. I've hosted over 160 of them, and we are still going strong. I know, it almost sounds too good to be true. Free training every week and a chance to learn more about productivity, content creation, or online marketing, and more Steve? Oh, pinch me. I'm in a little bit of heaven. The links are in the description or visit dototech.com slash webinar Wednesday. It is just about April of 2021 as I record this session. And it's just over a year ago now that we were really starting to come terms with just how serious COVID was going to be. Now, here in Canada, I can remember, we were in the process of schools were starting to shut down. We were starting to look at education from the home. If you went grocery shopping, uh, of course, there was no toilet paper and there was limits on what you could buy. We were worried about shortages. When we got home, we would disinfect all of our groceries. We would line it all up and we would disinfect them. 
uh, as they came in and take your clothes off immediately when you got home from shopping and not for fun stuff. No, but to wash the clothes and put on something clean because we didn't know exactly how the virus was being transmitted and how much risk we were at. I can remember that one of the things that I was doing at this particular point was I was obsessing on my upcoming travel schedule, just trying to figure out which conferences, like which ones were far enough ahead in the future that things might be returning to normal. And I can remember quite innocently thinking, oh, probably by November, I'll be able to hit the road again, perhaps. And uh, there were conferences we had booked for them that I thought were going to be fine. But increasingly, of course, the, uh, the, the, the COVID said, hold my beer and, and things, and we settled into a year, which has been unlike anything anyone has experienced before. As we now have vaccines being rolled out across the world and, <clears throat> and uh, we can potentially see an end to this uh, episode in our life, I'm increasingly wondering what our new normal is going to look like. You know, I mean, for example, I, I know that I've changed profoundly, even to simple little things, just little markers. When I watch a TV show and people shake hands, I cringe. I go, don't, don't do that. Don't touch each other. I suspect that entire tradition of handshaking, which has been etched in our society for so many years, I suspect that is pretty much gone. Now, what I wanted to talk to you folks about today was what people are calling our, our new normal. As we're like a full year into this now, I'm personally struggling with what to expect and what the future is going to hold for us. As I prepped for this for this uh, podcast, I was started I started to delve into the rabbit hole that is what this new normal is going to look like, and I'm honestly wondering now if society is not starting to suffer from shock, and we're not really seeing all of the damage the year has done so far. We're maybe in a little bit of denial. I'm not positive, and each of us is going to be in a slightly different space, but I think overall, this is the case. You know, when the pandemic started, many pundits rightfully pointed out that we were all experiencing a kind of a global grief as we are processing what we lost in different ways. And I think though most of us were feeling sorry for ourselves to a certain extent, there was legitimate grief, but we thought, I imagine that it was a temporary thing, that things were going to change for a period of time. We had this trial to overcome, but we would come out on the other side and everything would be back to the status quo. So in many ways, the grief that we were sharing was a temporary thing and we would be, we would be able to overcome it in the not too distant future. But the rea- as reality set in, I think grief changes and the fact that it wasn't going to go away has caused it to a certain extent to turn into shock. Because none of us can really see what the future holds with any clarity. You know, in this podcast, I like to use labels. I use them all the time. I Obviously, we are baby boomers and Gen X labels for our generation. I use labels all of the time. I'm wondering about the next generation of kids. The, the, the kids who had school disrupted, who had their graduations canceled, who had their lives turned upside down, and who've watched their parents struggle without a roadmap of how to navigate this new reality. What label are we going to attach to this new generation? You know, every generation gets forged through our shared experiences. For us baby boomers, the Kennedy assassinations and Martin Luther King, the moon landing, Vietnam, those, those events shaped our identity and shaped our identity as a, as a generation. But those events were all kind of fleeting or contained. They were, they were a moment in time or they were very regional. Uh, for example, kids growing up 
that are our age now in the UK, they weren't as affected by Vietnam as, say, Americans growing up. Or the Kennedy assassination would barely have registered with a kid growing up in India or even Japan. But this pandemic is the only truly global event that I can come up with, even World War II. Even, you know, the biggest events that we can kind of immediately pop to mind, World War II barely touched South America and Africa. There were whole areas of the world that they, that it didn't touch, although it came close. Don't, don't, I'm not trying to minimize it by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think that we have ever seen an event that the entire world identified at the same time. And so it's the only truly, truly global event that I can come up with. And this generation, this yet to be named generation, it's going to be unified in ways that we've never seen before. And by the word unified, I don't mean in the good sense of, in the kumbaya sense of everything's better, we are going to, you know, all work towards a better future, but unified in the fact that we have all had a traumatic experience. Even those of us who are not in the car wreck, we've seen the aftermath and we have to deal with the chaos that it created. So what is this new normal going to look like? I've got lots of questions. Sadly, I'm pretty sure that the answers are going to elude us. But let's look at a few of the different aspects. Now, one of the things that I've really, that's concerned me almost since day one is with the pandemic capturing so much of our attention, we've largely stopped focusing on a lot of other major changes that have, and forces that have been affecting our world. The one that leaps to mind immediately, for me at least, is how we were starting to come to terms or starting to understand what this post-truth era was looking like how social networking had changed the had changed our trust systems and how mainstream media was increasingly being undermined and rumors and innuendo and fake news were starting to rule the day this was all happening before the pandemic and once the pandemic struck of course it exacerbated that situation as it became one of the prime topics for all of the all of the misinformation that we are being shared, it became kind of a truth ball that was kicked from pillar to post, um, and it helped us. Uh, didn't help us. It hurt us even more because it undermined our trust. It undermined our confidence. It caused us to be more fearful, more afraid, more opinionated, more siloed. It uh, there was just an awful lot of badness that came along as this post-truth era was kind of blossoming and maturing, as we had this global event that we could all focus on, that multiple, I'm doing air quotes here, multiple truths would grow out of. But there are other technological advancements that were also shaping our world and changing our world prior to the pandemic that if the pandemic had never struck would be top of mind right now. I think one of the things we'd be incredibly concerned about is the growth of artificial intelligence. If you've watched any science fiction at all, you know that artificial intelligence ultimately cannot be our friend. And I don't mean to make light of the situation, but the, the growth and the capability that we're seeing within artificial intelligence is mind blowing how, how just how capable that technology is becoming and how are we going to manage it? How is it going to change our, change our world? That all kind of gets mixed into this cocktail with post-truth and now with COVID as we try and come to terms with what the new normal is going to look like. 
So let's start out by talking about maybe some of the things that are at a very base level, uh, just what our day-to-day life might be changing. And one of the things that I expect most of us are most concerned about, we think most about, about coming out of the other side of the pandemic is what's going to happen to our freedoms? What's going to happen to our freedom? I'm not talking about our political freedom, although does fold in to a certain extent, but our freedom to travel. We've never experienced a time when we can't just jump on a plane and go somewhere. And cost of travel had become nominal. And most of us were able to to be able to, if we made a decision, we wanted to go to another city, another province, another state, another country, another continent. It was just a matter of if we could afford it and if we had the time to do it. It wasn't, there wasn't a question, there wasn't any barriers, any significant barriers in place. So what is travel going to look like? I personally think that vacation travel is going to explode as soon as we can once again travel. People will spend what money they have and I don't think cost is going to be an object. I do think it's going to be expensive. Uh, so there might be some stratification where travel might only be for the middle class and beyond, but people are going to be willing to spend far more on getting out of Dodge than ever before. So I believe that there's going to be an explosion of vacation travel to the main destinations. But one of the things that I'm very concerned about overall with our infrastructure is how smaller communities are not going to be served as well, certainly by air service as they were in the past. Here in Canada, many, many communities you can't fly to anymore that you used to be able to fly to, but now they're no longer being served by the major airlines and the minor airlines or a lot of them are going away and going into bankruptcy or being absorbed. And so we're going to find a a disconnect between uh, for our smallest communities or even mid-sized communities that will not have easy access that we used to just by we used to just expect that we could always book a flight to a community as long as we were willing to travel at whatever time the airlines happened to be carrying us. So vacation travel, I believe, is going to blossom and be expensive. But what about business travel? And one of the things enabling business travel pre-pandemic was the cost became so very low for us to travel almost anywhere. You know, I can remember when I started my own uh, traveling for business uh, back in the uh, 90s, uh, it was very expensive to fly anywhere. So you thought twice before going anywhere. But we've seen those prices eroded, those premium prices for business travel eroded to the point that cost was no longer an object for most business travel. So people would at a whim almost, or even for, for something that is not really a significantly important meeting, they would travel. They would sometimes travel for a single meeting and then travel back because the cost of travel was, was not significant. And not just the cost, but the hassle factor of travel was not an issue. You know, air travel has always been, it's always been, you know, full of a little bit of anxiety as you go through uh, as you go through the uh, airport security, and if you are traveling internationally, going through customs and going through immigration, now those those points of uh, those points that blocked you along the way, they always invoke a small amount of anxiety. But certainly for us in North America, traveling back and forth between Canada and the U.S. or Canada and Mexico or the U.S. and Mexico, it was not, it was it was a it was an afterthought. It was just something. Oh yeah, I've got to make sure my passport, all my papers are in place, and that I've got them with me as I get on the plane. But it, there was never a concern that we wouldn't be able to travel. 
we wouldn't be able to enter or exit the country that we were in. We weren't worried about shutdowns suddenly changing travel plans and all of a sudden not being able to return or having to quarantine as we return. And so all of these new factors are now suddenly layered in. Now for business travel, I think it's going to have a much more profound impact than for holiday travel. If you're going on holiday, you might be willing to go through some extra hoops in order to get there because the reward at the end of the tunnel is far greater. But for business travel, we've already figured out how to continue to carry on business without travel. And it's far less expensive for us. It might not be quite as efficient, but we have figured out new models of communication, uh, Zoom and video conferencing, that have kept us afloat right through this past year. And there's no reason that as we refine those, those capabilities and can mix them in with a small amount of business travel, that things shouldn't be kind of be percolating along just fine without ever returning to the amount of travel that we had. I just don't see the airlines being able to compete uh, price-wise the way that they did in the past. I'm not talking about competing with each other, but competing with the value of a trip. Uh, if it costs you, if it used to cost us $500 to fly from Vancouver to say San Diego for a conference or for a meeting, that was a bargain. But if it's going to be $1,200 for the same conference, for the same meeting, uh, that is something that we are then going to be thinking twice about. And oftentimes, deciding that the value is not there and we will find alternate ways to make the communications happen that that business trip was uh, was baked around so that is that is a, a big consideration and i don't think that we're going to get back to normal anytime soon and that hits me right in the middle of my kind of my concern is what's going to happen with conferences are the conference organizers going to be confident that they can put on conferences to the same level as they used to and are we as, as business people going to be happy to travel to those conferences. I mean, I would think personally, I wouldn't be too concerned about traveling to a conference in the country that I live in, but crossing borders now for any reason, I am going to be thinking twice about, and it's not because I don't trust the, it's not because I'm concerned about personal security as I cross those borders or even being rejected for some reason. I mean, all of the paperwork can be in place, but what happens if there's an outbreak? when you are on the road? What happens if there is a, a surge and the city you're in suddenly becomes a hotspot or your home community becomes a hotspot and all of a sudden uh, travel between uh, gets interrupted for some reason, and uh, which happened to so many people as the pandemic started to grow. And we recognize now that that, that potential is there. Are you going to be willing to take that chance? Not 100% sure that I am. I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to getting out of getting out of my community and traveling again, but I'm very concerned that the uh, that the obstacles are going to be significant as we do that. Now, our home life and our work life has also changed significantly with it with the with the pandemic. And for many of us who are white collar workers, our home life and our work life, if anything, melded more closely together because we started to work at home. And some of these changes are actually positive. We have to, you know, if we look at both sides of the coin, 
the fact that so many of us have learned to work from home effectively and are able to do so has reduced our amount of commute time. And I think we all see the benefit of that with less traffic on the roads, less traffic congestion, etc. However, we are already starting to notice in many cities that the congestion, the traffic is already increasing as people are increasingly finding ways to get back into the office and get out and get about a little bit more. So that was a temporary uh, a temporary thing, at least I believe for the most part, the, the reduction in traffic and in, in congestion was a bit of a temporary thing. However, businesses do recognize that they can run efficiently with their workers not being in the office all of the time. So at least some form of telework or remote work is, is now going to be part of most of our lives. So our home changes because now we have to find a safe workspace within the homes. So does that change the real estate values? Does that change the way home construction is going to happen with far more builders now and far more uh, homes being designed with permanent workspaces built in that creates a, the appropriate amount of separation between family life and work life, which I think we would all desire if we had the option to be able to set up our homes that way. Now, one thing that I've been following closely is a is kind of a movement that started, and it started before the pandemic, to be fair, but it's a, it's a concept that they call 15-minute cities. And I didn't really know about this concept before, even though I lived that in my life uh, pre-pandemic. Shannon and I moved from a home kind of in the middle of a, in the middle of a community, but not walking distance to anything to a condo, which is walking distance to everything in the little village that we live in. And as a result, we, we really reduced the amount of use of the car. My car would sit for weeks at a time. In fact, it got to the point that sometimes the battery would be flat because I hadn't driven my car in such a period of time because I was able to walk to every shop, walk to the gym. I was able to walk to the haircut, walk to anything that I needed to do, walk to the dentist. I'm able to walk to almost everything in my community. And I love having this nuclear community that I can walk to everything in. And that's the concept behind the 15 minute city is having services and resources in walking distance to the bulk of the population in any one area. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a, an entire city that everything is 15 minutes from, but communities within the city, having all of the services that people would require within walking distance is a brilliant goal that a lot of city designers are striving to encourage. And I love that concept. And I believe that the pandemic has probably, if anything, accelerated the value of that. And more people now recognize the value of that. But there are some challenges in that as well, that if we do increasingly uh, look towards these communities and we try and reduce the amount of vehicular traffic that we have and the amount of commute time that we have, then increasingly important are things like bike and bus and pedestrian lanes within the infrastructure of our cities. And one of the reasons that we're seeing a big uptick right now in the amount of congestion in major cities is in those cities, people are forced back into their cars because public transit or their transit systems have been degraded because of the pandemic, because they're because of budget considerations. So the amount of the amount of public uh, publicly available transportation has been eroded in a lot of cities. That's a big concern that I have going forward as many communities struggle with finding a way 
to facilitate people reducing their dependency on automobiles, increasing the public infrastructure at a time when so many costs are going into so many different areas and transportation may end up being down the line. But I believe long-term, it's going to be an incredibly important part of our quote-unquote new normal. The final question that I have, uh, or questions that I have as we as we move on, and they, I mean, we could do hours on this podcast talking about this, is I'm wondering how our attitude is changing towards our frontline workers. And I know most of us, uh, or pretty much everybody, has been incredibly appreciative of our healthcare workers, et cetera, who have borne a lot of the brunt of the responsibility of defending us through the pandemic. But there are a lot of those frontline workers. And we typically think of our uh, of our healthcare workers, of our emergency services as those front care workers, but as those frontline workers. But it goes well beyond that. It goes to our teachers, of course, uh, to the food industry, the people who provide food and for us, to the store staff, to the bus drivers that we were talking about a moment ago. All of these people who have had historically lower paying jobs, entry level jobs in a lot of a lot of times we'd consider, and but we realize just how important they are to the to the uh, to the continuation of our society. So I'm wondering, are we now going to be willing to pay these people what they're worth? Are we willing to recognize the value? I know here, for me, personal concern is teacher salaries. Teacher salaries in Canada, where I live, I don't think are anywhere near commensurate with what we're asking teachers to do. And so is the public going to have an appetite to raise the, 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 the pay grade of those frontline workers who we recognize now were so essential as we worked our way through this, as we worked our way through the nightmare that has been the past year. That's, that's that along with wondering what the long-term impact on this new yet to be unnamed generation. Those are the questions that are first and foremost in my mind. I realize probably I've rambled here a little bit as we've gone through this, but as I said, this is a rabbit hole and with many, many different tributaries that you can take there. How about that for mixing metaphors? <laughs> but, but recognizing that there are, we have so many more questions than we have answers, but taking a step back and really thinking about the ones that are important to us, I think that's a super healthy exercise. And I really look forward to hearing any feedback that you might be willing to share with me on this topic big news we have merch i know really steve you have merch when did you become one of the cool kids well i will tell you exactly when i became a cool kid i became one when we got merch what is merch merch is merchandise we now have our very own Gray Matters t-shirts. And the best of those t-shirts is our trademark t-shirt, our best-selling t-shirt that has on the front, experience is not something you can Google. Yes. It tells all those pesky Zs and Ys and millennials that our experience is incredibly valuable and it is something one has to work for and earn. Indeed. Experience is not something one can simply Google. Read the shirt. Better yet, get the shirt. Links are in the show notes or visit us at dottotech.com. We're back for a quick wrap up on this week's show. So Rachel, uh, my new, my, my, is, would you call that a rant on the new normal? 
Well, if you're ranting, everybody's ranting. Yeah. So I can't say that's a rant because you're just saying what all of us are thinking. Mm-hmm. So no. <laughs> I'm not sure we're all thinking it through though. You know, you know, as I did the thing, I kind of had the, the, when I talked about the effect on the, the generation, on the generation of high school kids now that has had grad canceled and their prom canceled yeah. and those sorts of things, I, it, it suddenly dropped into focus that we're going to have a name for this generation soon. They're going to be identified and never before in history has the generational influences been global the way it is. And the business of it affecting, um, you know, uh, that I said, when kids look at their parents, when your kids look at you dealing with the pandemic and how you are lost, that has such a more profound effect. Your generation probably doesn't remember it, but my generation certainly remembers the shock and fear and disbelief that our parents had when JFK was shot mm-hmm. and killed. Mm-hmm. And the fact that our parents did not seem to be in control, that's one of the reasons it has it, it imprinted so strongly on baby boomers. And I was only six years old. I was at the tail end of the baby boom, so I was at an even more impressionable age. But I can still remember the look on my mom's face and my dad just sitting down and it, turning ashen as, as it happened. And I knew something very bad was happening. And for the first time, probably for the first time in my life, I knew that something was happening in the world that my dad couldn't do something about. Mm-hmm. And so, there, and that was a moment in time. This has been stretched out for a year. Well, and I love that you bring that up too, because you also add the the aspect to it. We didn't have the internet. Your 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 grandparents' parents didn't have the internet, so it's not like they could coordinate or talk, you know, or commiserate or share or whatever. I mean, it was all confined, right? Mm-hmm. You're not global with it. Now you've got, fast forward to this, you've got this global pandemic and we've had global pandemics before and, um, but no internet, you know, so you are kind of just seeing news reports and things like that, but it's very limited. And now you've got access to everything. And, and I agree. I think this is just, this is going to be hitting us <laughs> in waves. Uh, I, I'm really curious, you know, as a parent, you know, I, I do see my kids and they've been stuck in this house with me for the last year. And I'm working and they're trying to, you know, muscle through as best they can um, the mental health issues of not being able to see their friends mm-hmm. and yet trying to develop. And here I am, too, going through those same things. It's it's going to be weird. And and I agree. I, I think it's just a matter of us needing to keep a pulse on it and cope the best we can going forward. And I think one of the things that I've kind of come to terms with is I don't know. We just simply don't know what the ramifications are going to be. And they, it touches every aspect of our life. You know, mm-hmm. we're talking about the traffic issues, you know, how now, you know, we saw, we, it was wonderful for a short period of time because there was no traffic anywhere in the city. Now we're seeing traffic come back and we're saying, why? Because a lot less people are working, but there's less public transit often because the, those things have been cut back. So there's there's all these unintended consequences to the changes that are happening as well and unforeseen consequences to what is changing as, as we go along, which is kind of, I was hoping when I started, the, the when I started to think about talking about this, that I'd be able to give some insight that would make everybody feel good that this is, we are going to get back to normal in this way, but it's just going to be a little bit different. But I've, I've, I've kind of lost hope for that right now. I just know it's going to be like really different even right now, even this week or this month is probably not the way it's going to be in six months or a year or two years. So even if you think things are starting to get familiar, 
now you still have to be ready for it, how it's going to change again in just a little bit. And cause it's probably going to, and that's the thing you're, you're right. There's, there's no pat answer. There's no certainty mm-hmm. or, or a big lack of it. And so that that's really hard for just about anyone to stomach. And now we're just kind of like, well, I guess day at a time, which and, is hard. And then we have this massive disconnect in our society of people who deny it because of misinformation people yeah. who deny everything, people who exacerbate everything, who make, who make it sound more doom and gloom and worse than it is. So getting to what the real truth is, is well, well nigh on impossible. Mm-hmm. But you've got a lot of people that are just denying and ignoring. And, uh, and then it, it affects our relationships with those people. I mean, I, the p- friends that I have that have completely ignored the pandemic, I don't look really look at as friends anymore. Agreed. Well, and I, Steve, I got to tell you too, my mom is, she's over 60. She is a frontline healthcare ER mm. worker in Houston. And so I took it personally, you know, whenever yeah. somebody's like, oh, that's just, just all a, you know, a faux yeah. thing. It's, it's false and fake news. It's not. And I'm like, you know what? I will wear a mask because it's going to save my mom's life. A global pandemic should bring us together. It shouldn't fracture us more, but I'm afraid it probably has fractured us more, but maybe, maybe it's the, the, everything that expands contracts and we will come back together in the not too distant future. So we'll leave it on that kind of positive hope for the future that we will indeed find our way back. Show notes are available at dototech.com forward slash 61 gray. You can find all of the links there. Rachel, I appreciate your effort today and good luck on building your she, she raw, she raw shed. shed. That's right. I'm excited about it. And who knows soon enough, I'll be recording from in there as we're doing these podcasts. Until next time, I'm Steve Dot. Have fun storming a castle. say it or not yeah go ahead i always put it in you think it will work it'll take a miracle